how good it is to see you guys and to worship together in person after two years, at least two years. Welcome to CCSE. It is our greatest joy and honor that we get to worship the risen King, Savior, sinners, Jesus Christ together this day. Uh, I'm going to direct our attention uh, to the Old Testament prophet by the name of Isaiah. Chapter 43, the first three verses, actually up until the first half of verse 3. Today I'm going to talk about suffering. Jesus will meet you there. Let's give our attention to this as I read this for us. This is from the ESV, God's word. But now thus says the Lord, he who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not. For I have redeemed you, I have called you by name, you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned. And the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. This is God's timeless and precious word. Thanks be to God. Not quite sure how all of you are feeling. Thank you for joining us, coming back in person. Of course, those of you joining us online. Wow. Two years, two and a half years. Some of you are dazed, numb. Some of you are utterly exhausted, sick and tired (laughs) of the pandemic and all its implications and all of its changes and Quite frankly, some of you are very beaten down by different forms of suffering. Can I ask you this morning, what do you do with that? How are you holding up under that? How are you handling suffering? Just got five aspects. They all start with a P, five P's from the word of God that might help you handle suffering better. Five Ps. First is perspectives. Second are the provisions of God. Third is a purpose from God. Fourth, his presence. Fifth is something far more precious. Five Ps. First, perspectives. I was a history major, and if you do history or philosophy or religious studies, you'll find, uh, I'm going to generalize here, Almost all traditional and ancient perspectives on suffering are highly spiritual, communal, and moralistic. Spiritual, communal, and moralistic. Uh, In some, there's a lot of good reasons and there's a lot of things you can do with suffering for the greater good. So for greater spiritual Uh, Awakening, spiritual enlightenment, uh, spiritual purification, liberation. Almost all religions teach that. When you go through suffering, there is a greater good on the other side. Uh, Also, the ancients have it that you can learn such empathy, sensitivity... If you can discover how you can get healed when you're at the bottom, you can then turn around and hopefully 
bring healing to other people, greater empathy and compassion for others. Moralistic, of course. I, you, you, you know, stronger you, a better you, greater character, greater resilience, nobility, values, even glory and honor ahead. Because, quite frankly, the greatest people in human history have all been broken by suffering and come out the other side. Those are traditional ancient perspectives on suffering. Some things you can do for the greater good. Now we get to the modern Western perspective. This is what we live and breathe, where the spiritual realm and reasons are dismissed for science. The individual trumps the communal, what's best for the group. And with only natural and material forces at play, suffering is pure accident. Suffering is pointless. It's pointless. Richard Dawkins, in a book entitled River Out of Eden, A Darwinian View of Life, observed this. The reason people struggle so mightily in the face of suffering is... Because they will not accept that it never has any purpose, it is senseless. As cold, empty, and brutal as this may sound, this is the consistent perspective on life and suffering without God. This is the clear, consistent, logical conclusion to a world that came into being, human beings came into being by random chance, random accident. Therefore, suffering is purely accidental too. This is why that English literature professor and writer, C.S. Lewis, one day came to realize the problem of suffering and evil is a greater problem for atheists than for the than for those who do believe in God. How so? How so? Sure, for those who believe in God, theists, evil and pain and suffering presents a certain category of problems. But if you don't believe in God at all, everything is natural material. Can you stomach? Can you stomach that any and all suffering you've ever gone through is meaningless? It's utterly empty. Um, studies show this is impossible to live this way. Every human being has to make sense of suffering. Has to make sense of some things in life. You have to find ways to make life worth living. So in traditional perspectives on suffering, suffer for the greater good. But in modern Western perspective, and only in our perspective, in the history of the world, there is no greater good or meaning to life than individual happiness. There is no greater meaning in life than individual personal happiness. So suffering is of no use to us. Avoid suffering at all costs. Isn't that the culture, the education we live and breathe in? Avoid, 
education systems. Oh, no, no. Be very careful. You got to be neutral, value-free, ironic. Those are values, though. You can't affect little children. They have to have their own freedom to figure out things on themselves and find their own happiness. Only in our culture, only in our perspective, suffering you should avoid at all costs, minimize it, manage it, medicate it away, educate it away, blame it away. Needless to say, this kind of perspective, though, makes you and I the least able to handle suffering when it happens. The perspective that the greatest meaning in life is my individual personal happiness nothing spiritual, nothing communal, nothing moralistic, makes suffering utterly wasteful. It is an absolute gross, absurd interruption into my life. Therefore, you must banish it. Problem is, you can't banish it. Neither the ancient or the modern, Eastern or Western perspective, eliminates, protects you and I from suffering. As the great Charles Barkley said, the NBA commentator, sometimes the light at the end of the tunnel is a freight train. Sometimes the light at the end of the tunnel is a train. But Easter, the historical reality and revelation of God through Easter, changes how you suffer. Easter gives you remarkable provisions in your suffering. That was the first P, perspectives. Your second, the provisions, provisions of God. Provisions of God. First Peter chapter 1, verse 6, a letter by the apostle Peter, the one who denied Jesus three times. He was a coward, but Jesus still loved and recovered him. He wrote this letter, chapter 1, verse 6. <coughs> Excuse me. In this you rejoice... Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. The Bible is the least simplistic and naive book in the world. The most sophisticated, various trials, different kinds of sufferings. I'm only just going to mention three real quick. Just three. There's a lot. But there is suffering directly related to what you have done. There is suffering because of what I have done. Psalm 32 is a confession of a miserable person who says, I groan all day and all night long. Yes, you can call me depressed. Yes, you can call me suicidal. You can call me mental health is not right. I am beaten down all day long. My body is wasting away. I have no strength. I can't sleep. I can't eat. Do you know why? According to that psalm, it's because the guilt of his sin, guilt haunts him. You don't have to be a believer to have that. Your conscience just weighs down on you and just keeps beating you down. The director of the British Mental Health Institute once declared a couple decades ago, half of all my patients could be sent home tomorrow if they knew forgiveness from guilt. If you could only know and experience forgiveness from guilt. Oh, you say, oh, pastor, you know, I, 
barely came today. I'm glad you're here. I don't believe again in guilt and sin and God and things like this. Well, okay, then you do believe in natural consequences, right, to something wrong you have done. Like if you're a prolific liar, you're a prolific fraudster, your businesses fail, your relationships fall apart, your reputation gets ruined, those consequences, that kind of suffering you see, that's natural as a result of what you have done. Now, here's what God can provide to all of us here today in the gospel, in the gospel, which is called good news. There is forgiveness for all of your sins, all of them, all at once. If you put your faith in Jesus Christ, a substitute Savior who took all the punishment and condemnation your sins deserve. The provision of God in the gospel is that Jesus will take what you deserve and you will get what he deserves. Therefore, there's remarkable, remarkable security and peace in any suffering you could ever go through as a Christian believer. Because now you know God can't be coming back around to punish you for sins. He's only coming around to set you free from them. A Christian person who knows that Jesus Christ, therefore there is no condemnation to those who are in Jesus Christ. Romans 8 verse 1 knows that whatever suffering comes your way cannot be God coming back at you so you can pay up for your sins. He's only coming around to set you free from all your sins. There's a character by the name of Jonah in the Bible. He ran from God. He ran from God. He did not want to do anything with God. He did not want to obey God. He ran hard the other way. But God went running after him. Read the short book. Notice, God went running after Jonah not to punish him, not to condemn him for his disobedience, but to recall him, reuse him. And he actually sent a ginormous whale that swallowed him whole. And some of you are going through sufferings that feel like the world is swallowing you whole. That suffering is swallowing you whole. But if you are a Christian believer, you have the security, you have the peace to know that that very thing, which feels like it's swallowing you whole, is God's very vehicle for rescue. God is saving you from something. God is changing you for something. God is loving on you. Even in your suffering, it cannot be because of what you've done, because of what Jesus has done for you. I'd say that's a remarkable provision. There's another kind of suffering that comes without rhyme or reason. Without rhyme or reason. Part of biblical wisdom is to admit the limits of your wisdom. Part of real godly wisdom is to know you are not God. You will not actually figure anything out and everything out until the other side of this life. There's another character by the name of Job in the Bible, a lengthy book. I wonder why it's there. Here's why it's there. He suffered devastating, dumbfounding losses. I can almost certainly guarantee there's no one in this room who will suffer losses like Job did. You won't come close. Possessions, wealth, estate, 
children. Like all his children. Suffering without rhyme or reason. But in that storm through the valley of the shadow of death, by the end of the book of Job, you, you find Job say something like, I used to believe in you. I had heard of you from afar, but now I've seen you face to face. Suffering is a soil through which that can produce an experience of the intimacy with God like nothing else can. Inexplicable sufferings is the ground upon which God meets with you in such intimacy and shows you more of himself than no other occasion could ever produce. There's suffering because of what I've done. God will give you security and peace in it. There's suffering without rhyme or reason. There's intimacy with the living God in it. Third, suffering natural loss and grief. Natural loss and grief. Two things that are true, taxes and death. We're all dying. We're all dying. How many more Easter's will we have together in person? That's natural. No one denies that. In John chapter 11, Martha and Mary lost their brother. They were in grief. They were in the throes of grief for their brother Lazarus. That is a universal experience, is it not? Does it matter how rich you are? Does it matter how intelligent you are? Does it matter how dutiful you are? Who avoids a funeral? Who avoids a funeral, especially for those you love? That is a universal experience, but our responses to it radically vary. And yet Jesus comes to each person and serves you and meets you and touches you in a way that you as an individual need most. So he treats Martha different than Mary. Reactions vary. You know, as I age a little bit, I have found, my daughters have noticed, you know, Dad, you cry a lot more now. You cry more. What's wrong with you? Like, you know, it's because I'm exposed to a lot more suffering. I'm exposed to the sobering reality of life. But it's also because I'm losing a lot of testosterone. Yeah, I, I definitely feel the loss of testosterone. You just get all weepy and emotional. But Jesus shows up at this funeral of Lazarus, a friend whom he loved with Martha and Mary, and he signals this is not the end. This is not the end. Although he weeps with them, he weeps with hope for them. He weeps to give them hope to them. Jesus provides hope, even at a funeral. In an episode of The Late Show with Stephen Colbert, he was interviewing Dua Lipa. I asked one of my daughters, who is that? Rolled her eyes, Dad, I can't believe you don't know who she is. I still don't know who she is. Anyways, Dua Lipa asked Stephen Colbert if and how his faith and comedy overlap. How does having a sense of humor and having Christian faith overlap? Here's how Stephen Colbert answered that question. He referred to a movie, Belfast, as an Irish-American, which is about Irish history. And here's how he answered that question. 
Sadness is like a bit of emotional death, but not a defeat. If you can find a way to laugh about it. Because that laughter keeps you from having fear of it. And fear is the thing that keeps you from turning to evil devices to save you from the sadness. So if there is some relationship between my faith and my comedy, it's that no matter what happens, you are never defeated. You must understand and see this in the light of eternity and find some way to love and laugh with each other. No matter what happens, you're never defeated for people of faith. No matter what happens, you can retain a sense of humor for people of faith. Because this is not the end. There's hope. Apostle Paul rises up in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and he talks directly to death as if he could personalize it. He looks at death, and he taunts, makes fun of death. Where is your sting? Where is your poison? Where is your curse? What happened to your finality? What happened to my utter fear and dread of you? He laughs. Because Jesus rose from the dead. Provisions. Purpose. Purpose. We go back to 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6 through 9. In this you rejoice. <laughs> My goodness. You rejoice? Though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials, different kinds of sufferings, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. There is divinity. There is a divine purpose in, in all sufferings. One purpose is found here. If you put your faith in the risen Savior, Lord of Lords, Jesus Christ, that faith can turn out to be something far more valuable, far brighter, more precious than gold. Ancient language for, think of the most priceless thing you could ever have in the world. Used to be gold. Maybe it still is. Saving faith, faith for you to just fall into the arms of Jesus. Faith for you to lean back into the bosom of Jesus. Faith which is to just throw yourself at the feet of Jesus and say, Jesus, I absolutely need you. Life makes no sense without you. I have no hope, security, or peace, or resilience without you. That faith that brings you into a personal love encounter with Jesus can turn out to be, after its testing, after its trials, after its purifications, as something more precious than gold. Because frankly, for all people of faith, even here this morning, starting with myself, we have self-interests and impurities mixed in. 
Yeah, 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 yeah. I, 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 I sing and I pray and I cry and I preach the gospel, but uh, please know that God knows how much impurities are still mixed into my faith in Jesus Christ. We over-desire our family's well-being. We overvalue marriages working out right. We overlove what people think and say about us. You overvalue your financial condition. You overvalue comfort, peace. Just leave me alone. I live in the suburb. You overvalue all kinds of things, which means you're not valuing, you're not loving, you're not prizing, you're not putting your faith in the only one who will not fail you. Some of you are too stubborn, some of you are too sensitive. Some of you lack courage. You just do. You have no courage. You have no backbone to what is right. You lack compassion for people who are suffering right next to you, next door. Until suffering, like fire, burns it away. There is purpose. Oh, there's always purpose. If there is a God. And the divine purpose in and all, all of our sufferings is to make you something far more beautiful and precious than what you were preceding that suffering. Fourth P, we went through perspectives, went through provisions, we went through purpose. Now the fourth, presence, presence. You're scratching the surface of Christianity if you just think Christianity is a religion that teaches you things, you know, gives you principles, gives you perspectives, gives you provisions, and even gives you a purpose. You're at the surface. Only the God of the Bible, surpassing all religions of the world, says, I'm going to come right into your sufferings. I'm going to walk with you there. I will be present in your suffering. First Peter said, greed by various trials and tested by fire. You know, that imagery of fire actually took place in Daniel Chapter 3, King Nebuchadnezzar, like any other totalitarian leader, full of himself, has so much wealth and power and privilege on his side, makes an enormous statue in his own image and then decrees across the whole land an historical event, almost bow before my statue or you will face severe consequences. Three Jewish exiles by the name of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego refused to bow before a statue of that king thereby compromising their faith. So the penalty was a furnace that was fired up so hot, it was escalated and intensified in its heat that the soldiers who took Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to throw them into the furnace, they got burnt and died. Well, into this fiery furnace, the three young men go, and King Nebuchadnezzar comes along, only to be astonished when he looks in. Because here's what he says. But I see four men unbound. Walking in the midst of the fire and they are not hurt. 
And the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. The appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. Who could that spellbinding, radiant fourth figure be? Only the God of the Bible came all the way down in Jesus Christ to walk with you and to walk with me in the fire. In the fire. His holy but absolutely loving presence. On Good Friday, we were here worshiping and celebrating how Good Friday was good for us, but altogether horrific for him, Jesus. We had a sister by the name of Kathy who stood up here to share her story of grace. She shared that in the span of three years, God took four babies home. She suffered four miscarriages. In the midst of that turbulence, that devastating sorrow, four children that the Lord created but took away. The Lord made but took away. She shared how God walked with her and her husband Johnny there. 2019 gave birth to their fifth, a son by the name of Jacob, and they're waiting to match for adoption next year. How God can come all the way down to walk with you and me in the fire when you pass through the waters and you feel like tomorrow won't come is precisely why Jesus came down. This is why he came down. And that ancient prophet Isaiah, back to these Unbelievable passage by the prophet of 43, where he announced, when you pass through the waters, when you pass through the waters, it will not overwhelm you. It will not consume you. And when you go through that fire, I will be with you. I am the Holy One of Israel, for you are mine. You are mine. In the water or in the fire, no matter what you're going through, God in Jesus Christ will meet you there. There's a Grammy Award winning uh, Christian artist by the name of Stephen Curtis Chapman. Uh, I think he became more poignant and tender and uplifting because he suffered the tragic loss of his own daughter in his front driveway in a car driven by his son. And you'll know where I got the title of today's message from in these lyrics from Stephen Curtis Chapman. When you fail to get... Uh, previous slide. When you think you've hit the bottom and the bottom gives way and you fall into a darkness no words can explain and you don't know how you make it out alive, Jesus will meet you there. He knows the way to wherever you are. He knows the way to the depths of your heart. He knows the way because he's already been where you're going. Jesus will meet you there.
And when you failed again and all your second chances have been used. And the heavy weight of guilt and shame is crushing down on you. And all you have is one last cry for help. Jesus will meet you there. Jesus will meet you there. Friends, visitors, family, whatever suffering you're going through, you can find Jesus there. Even better, Jesus will come to find you there. Jesus will come to meet you there. Call on the name of Jesus. Call out for Jesus right here, right now. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24 announces, Jesus himself bore our sins upon a tree so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds we are healed. If you call on the name of Jesus, if you pray and cry out to Jesus, he will meet you there. His presence will be yours. He will come and walk with you through whatever you are walking through right now. Because he has been there. He knows exactly what you're going through. He knows the depths of your heart. And he knows how to come out alive even better off on the other side. The fire will not burn you. It will only beautify you. The waters will not overwhelm you and drown you. They cannot. For Jesus was overwhelmed and drowned at a cross. You don't have to fall into despair. Don't fall into despair in your suffering. Fall into the arms of one who despaired. He was abandoned and alone for you. So you never have to be alone. You call and cry out to the name of Jesus. You pray this day, oh Lord, Jesus, come into my life. Walk with me. Hold me. Hold me up. Love me. I want to worship you, love you, follow you. And he will. He will meet you there. He will meet you now. He will meet you in any place you find yourself in. Jesus Christ is risen from the dead so that no matter what you are going through, you are undefeated. You don't have to give up. There's even laughter and love after death for you. Jesus will meet you there. We'll close with this, the fifth P. Precious. Precious. Verses 3 to 5 of 1 Peter chapter 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. There is something far more precious prepared and laid ahead and guarded by God to be revealed to you. That will make all your sufferings combined not worthy of comparison. All your questions and griefs. And sorrows. All 
of the loneliness, addiction, and abuse. All the broken relationships, all the regrets, all the shame will not be worthy to be compared with what God has laid up for you. And it is so precious that its foretaste is a living hope that will affect your present. It will utterly change your present. It will change how you suffer. It will change how you suffer. Listen, for those of you in a dead-end job, you're thinking about losing your job or you just quit your job. You can't wait to go to another job. What if your employer came out with a contract and it is written there that in X number of years, 10 years, you are going to be paid out a billion dollars? I don't care how dead end your job is. I mean, short of abuse or physical survival or criminality, how dead end could your job be that if your employer guaranteed you in 10 years, you're going to be paid out a billion dollars? I'm pretty sure everyone in this room would keep that job. You're going to learn to handle it. Jesus arose body and soul. Jesus arose body and soul. That means he's bringing back the most concrete restoration of all things. Not a ghost-like, ethereal, fantasy place with fat, chubby, cute angels floating around. No, the most concrete restoration of all things that will be unfading, imperishable, undefiled. Ever since college, much more then than now, I had these vivid dreams of my dad being alive. The dream was so real, I felt and believed he was alive again. At a baseball game, eating a meal, laughing, talking over the Bible. Truth be told, I'd wake up from those dreams. Huge letdown. And it's gotten better, but certain days or maybe weeks on end, all of it would just feel like a disappointment. But Easter means, Jesus rising again from the dead means, my happiest dream is going to come true. And everything sad will come untrue. Jesus arose. Jesus arose. That means the highest and happiest dreams you could ever have will come to its fulfillment and everything sad will be unwound. Undone. Put to rest. Never to come back again. Hallelujah. Blessed be the God of the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who resurrected from the dead to give us a living hope. Put your faith, small and trembling and weak as it may feel, it's okay. You put that there. Put it in Jesus. Put your hopes and dreams in Jesus who rose from the dead. And though you do not now see him, you will love him. 
though you are going through various trials tested by fire, you will have a joy inexpressible because God is keeping and guarding and will reveal something to you one day far more precious, far more satisfying, far more healing and completing than anything you could have ever lost. Praise be to the risen Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, forevermore. Let's pray. Father in heaven, bring us now to yourself. Bring all my friends to yourself. Bring them by faith to you. Help them to look up, look out, and see the God who will meet them there. Oh, Holy Spirit, the very Spirit of Jesus Christ, would you come and do your work and meet us here? Meet us now. Touch us. Heal us. Hold us. Can I give you a couple moments to pray with me? Pray with me. Whatever you need to pray, Jesus will meet you there. And maybe some of you, you can pray this with me. Lord Jesus, I need you. Come into my life. Take away my sins. I want to live for you. I want to love and follow you all my days. Make yourself known to me, Jesus. And we all pray together in Jesus' name. Amen.